contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Before we get to this week's edition of the Business of Sports, a Brandt's Rants edition, let's talk about DraftKings, where you don't need to finish first to cash in. In fact, a player who finished 800th in week one took home $100. This weekend, DraftKings is hosting another huge fantasy contest with over a million dollars in total prizes. You know DraftKings, the destination for one-week fantasy, no season-long commitments. Play when you want with who you want and follow the action in real time. So don't wait. Get to DraftKings.com now. Choose your players for this weekend. Enter promo code BRAND. My name, all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. Play for free with your first deposit. That's promo code BRAND. Play for free. Only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See website for details. On this edition of the Business of Sports, another edition of Brant's Rants, where I sort of get into some things in the business of sports, especially around the NFL, which is so big as we start this time of year in the first month in September, things that sort of impress me or cause a reaction, and let's get into it right away. First of all, the storyline after three weeks in the NFL, a couple of major things that attract my attention is... The Eagles, of course, I live in Philadelphia, I hear the hype, and it's just still amazing to me that what we're seeing from Carson Wentz and his quick ascension to the Philadelphia Eagles would not have happened, (laughs) but for an injury 1,200 miles from Philadelphia on a practice field, non-contact, it was Teddy Bridgewater, the Minnesota Vikings, he goes down creates a huge void for the Minnesota Vikings, who have a great defense, who are a playoff-ready team, now faced without their leader, without their best player in Teddy Bridgewater. And I do say best player because Adrian Peterson, I think the the position itself is so much uh, a lesser position value-wise than quarterback. He goes down. The Vikings, of course, look around to see what they're going to do and not go into the season with Sean Hill as their quarterback, and they find a willing participant. With Sam Bradford, their desired choice, and the Philadelphia Eagles, they paid a hefty price. They paid a first-round pick. As we talk about, those picks are gold and currency in the NFL. Not only do you get the player you want, you get them at reasonable rates for four years plus a fifth-year option that has so much value in this league, especially if it's for a premium position like a quarterback or pass rusher or left tackle. The trade is made. A lot of discussion about the trade, who wins, who loses, what's the good, what's the bad. Just again, to review my quick comment on that, I think the Eagles got a great trade that way because they had this guy in the bullpen, Carson Wentz, and they moved on for a first-round pick. Now, even if they kept Sam Bradford, as was the plan for the year, the most they probably could have hoped for in a trade, again, he's under a two-year contract, Next year would be, I think, a second-round pick. That would have been the most I think they could have gotten, no matter how Bradford plays. Teams don't give up number one picks, but for a sense of desperation that we saw with the Vikings. Of course, Bradford playing well in Minnesota, leading that team to 3-0. and We'll see what happens there. Without Adrian Peterson, without their, guard, uh, their tackle, Khalil, what a strong performance by that team. And, of course... In Philadelphia, 3-0 and and looking again. I'm saying this, and I don't think it's out of the reach to say this. Looking like a Super Bowl contending team, 
led by a rookie quarterback, the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, a rookie quarterback that was scheduled a month ago to be sitting all season, third string, inactive, similar to what's going on in Los Angeles with Jared Goff, was not, was not going to play. But for this non-contact injury with Teddy Bridgewater set in, in motion, these, these set of circumstances that led Carson Wentz to where he is today. Here's what I want to say. This is an example of the thing that doesn't happen enough in pro sports, let alone football. Putting players in a position to succeed. Now, this Carson Wentz has a lot going for him. Intangibles, incredible work ethic, attention to detail, focused on football, nothing distracting him. All in, everything you want off the field. On the field, you still have to put the player in position to be successful. He has arm strength. He has mobility. He has great sense of awareness on the field. But let's look at the coaching staff. Doug Peterson. I know well Doug was a backup at Green Bay. I dealt with him all the time. He was our coach on the field for Brett Favre. Uh, coordinator, Frank Reich. I know Frank represented him. He was a backup to Brett, to Boomer Esiason at Maryland then started, then played as a starter, as a backup throughout the league. He knows what he's doing. John DeFilippo, quarterback coach, another person in Carson Wentz's ear that can be his eyes and ears. And then, of course, Chase Daniel, the backup, paid $12 million guaranteed, $10 million this year, I think, to be what Doug Peterson was with Brett Favre, to be that sideline coach in his ear, at his side, in quarterback meeting rooms, on the field, every time of day. The role served so often by these, these veterans that don't get enough credit. I know Matt Hasselbeck served this role for Andrew Luck last couple years in Indianapolis. It's out there. Chase Daniel is doing it. I call him the highest paid quarterback coach in the history of the NFL, making $12 million guaranteed to be Carson Wentz's uh, always in his ear, always looking, always helping him in any way he can. That, my friends, is putting a player in position to be successful for experienced, quality coaches dealing with the quarterback position. The Eagles had that in place, and they would have had Sam Bradford in place as well, developing Wentz, but we would not know what Wentz could or couldn't do until this time next year had they kept Bradford, assuming he'd stay healthy, and I would assume he'd be doing well right now. He's doing well in Minnesota. He would do well in Philadelphia, which brings up a similarity of those two teams, again, with coaching. Coaching. These defenses are for real. Minnesota and Philadelphia have serious, legit defenses, and I think a lot of that goes to coaching. You entrust your defense with a, with a coach that is experienced, that knows that side of the ball, and has value. Jim Schwartz in Philadelphia. Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. Value. Value add. Let's continue that coaching discussion with the other surprise team in the league, and only a surprise because their best player is on the shelf. Tom Brady, four-game suspension. New England Patriots, 3-0. The, the win the other night with Jacoby Brissett, the, the rookie quarterback, was a surprise in itself, and now, of course, he's hurt. But the real surprise to me was the first game, the opening game at Arizona, expected to be a legitimate contender, and the Patriots went in there and won. This is a team, again, we get back to coaching. We get back to putting players in position to be successful. We get back to doing what's comfortable for players, not having them too far out of their comfort zone and making it work. You look at the game plan. You look at the way Jacoby Brissett was managed in their win the other night. 
uh, it just shows again the value of coaching. And when we talk about salary cap and committed costs uh, to teams, you just have to talk about coaching staff as well. Look what I mentioned in Philadelphia: beyond the payroll, you have beyond the cap expenses. Excuse me. You have Doug Peterson, you have Frank Reich, you have DeFilippo, you have Chase Daniel, all as support system for Carson Wentz. A lot of money, but outside the cap. And of course, in New England, whatever they pay Belichick, Belichick is not enough. It's an outside the cap expense. And here's, the, here's an interesting note on these two teams. The Eagles, spending 50-something million dollars at quarterback alone, have the highest payroll in the league, the highest payroll ever for one year for an NFL team, 200 and $6 million, some $50 million over what is the cap. Now, $50 million, almost $50 million under the cap are the New England Patriots, spending only $108 million this year. So you see the vast differences in spending, but ultimately it comes down to coaching. And again, spending is cyclical. I do think the Eagles, if they continue with Wentz, they're going to have Wentz under contract in a couple years for, I don't know, a couple million dollars as their starting quarterback, who obviously seems to have a great future. So those are things that sort of impress me about these teams coming out of the first few weeks of the season. I do think we'll see continued ascension of teams like the Packers, where Aaron Rodgers is getting comfortable again with Jordy Nelson, and I think they have a defense now with a lot of starters hurt that is better than advertised. And then I think we'll see other teams that are down right now get better. I think the Bengals are a good team even though they haven't played to it. Uh, I think Kansas City will establish itself. So you see these teams coming up in the rankings, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the things I keep harping on. Putting themselves in position to be successful and coaching outside the cap, you can spend on those things as well and not be limited by any artificial restrictions from a salary cap. Speaking league-wide, one a couple things to note. Number one, we all know Roger Goodell is the constant face of the NFL, whether good or bad, and largely the punching bag for things that go wrong in the NFL. Not everyone knows the NFL has a new COO hired last year. This is a, a chief operating officer. So if you look at Goodell as the CEO, Todd Lewicki is the COO, and people don't even know his name will become much more known probably starting this week as he lays out a plan of strategic reorganization of the office. Having the apartments work closer together, you've sort of seen a more uh, aggressive public relations fighting back at claims the New York Times made about uh, ties to their tobacco industry with the NFL and concussions. Those kind of things will be fighting back more. We'll see more of Todd Lewicki's influence Again, he's a former executive with the Seattle Seahawks. He's a former executive with the Tampa Bay soccer team. His brother is the former executive of the Toronto, uh, is or excuse me, executive with the Toronto team of Major League Soccer. These are the influences that we're going to see. Todd Lewicki, the new COO of the NFL, his emphasis will continue to grow. And speaking of the NFL, one thing I want to tamp down a little bit, there seems to be a lot of talk, a lot of hype, a lot of momentum even, about the, uh, the Oakland Raiders becoming the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's, let's hold the phone a little bit on that, and here's why. Yes, there was a passage by the Southern Nevada Tourism Committee uh, to give approval 
to hundreds of millions of dollars of tourist taxes for the building of this stadium. Now, mind you, that is a step, but it is only a step. There are a lot more steps that have to be taken before we can seriously talk about the Raiders moving to Las Vegas. There ha- it has to go to the governor. It has to go to the legislature. It has to get out of Nevada in terms of their process. And then the bigger hurdle is to the league. 24 of 32 owners must vote for relocation to allow this to happen. The clear statement from Roger Goodell, and again, he was answering this in Minnesota when they were opening up their new stadium on a team that stayed where it was. The clear emphasis is to stay for Oakland and Mark Davis to do a deal to keep the Raiders in Oakland. As you remember, the Raiders finished third in a three-team race for Los Angeles behind the Rams, now in L.A., and the Chargers, now a question mark, as they wait for a vote in San Diego. The Raiders were clearly the third choice, and Mark Davis was told politely, papped on the head, and said, go back to Oakland, try to make a deal. That hasn't seemed to progress. Not sure if it's Oakland's fault or Davis's fault, but he seems to have eyes for Las Vegas. Listen, the L.A. process, after 20 years of talk, took about two, three years of action to happen. I think that is a liberal estimate that this could happen in two or three years. I'm not saying the Raiders to Vegas won't happen, and I am saying I think there will be a team in Vegas. I just don't know when it will be Raiders to Vegas, or if, or when we will have a team in Vegas. I don't think it'll be even before the end of this collective bargaining agreement in 2020. Speaking of the collective bargaining agreement, I do refer you to my two articles, one last week, one this week. On the CBA, we're now five years into an extraordinary length of a 10-year collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA. As someone myself who's a former agent on the labor side, a former team executive 10 years with the Packers on the management side, and now studying, analyzing, and commenting on the business of football the past six years, I think I was in a unique position to sort of look at this. And I looked at a lot of the issues. Obviously, what gets the most attention is commissioner discipline and Roger Goodell, his overreach on players. He's too soft with Josh Brown, with Ray Rice. He's too harsh with Tom Brady. I think the problem is he's too arbitrary, and that seems to be a bad look for the league. So I wrote about all those issues, the commissioner discipline issue, the franchise tag issue, the limits on contact with players and off-season work, which gets a lot of criticism from coaches. By the way, coaches were not consulted in this negotiation. It was between players and owners, and obviously coaches are on the outside looking in now, not able to coach their players much at all during the off-season. So I encourage you to look at it. Part two this week, really talking about the money. Are teams spending enough? There are minimums, league-wide minimums, which can be easily had when you have teams, as I said, like the Eagles spending $50 million more than the cap. Also, there are team minimums, which I think is the biggest issue in the CBA. Are teams spending enough? I think the 89% per team over four years is not enough. It's too low a percentage. It's too long a window to uh, analyze. I go into all these numbers, and we see that in every year but one of these five years of spending, in every year but one, less than half the teams are spending to the cap. So, for instance, if the cap is $150 million dollars, Less than half the teams are spending to that amount. That is wrong. That should not be happening. We should have teams spending to the cap, most of them, if not all, every year. That's why you have a cap. 
a cap should be a spending in in uh, excuse me an incentive to spend rather than just trying to coast and get to the minimums when you can. So I write all about that on the Monday Morning Quarterback this week. A last comment. Uh, I just saw an, a, a comment by John Elway with a line that I've always used. Again, he didn't sign Brock Osweiler. Uh, his comment, and I assume it's referring to that, is sometimes the deals you don't make are the best deals. Or let's rephrase it. Sometimes the best deals you make are the ones you don't make. That is clearly the case. I felt that a lot in my time with the Packers. We would try to sign a player in free agency. We would try to re-sign a player. More often than not, the player would sign for big money somewhere else, and we'd sort of brush our forehead and say, wow, we sort of got away with that because we really tried hard to sign. And again, Elway, I don't know if his meaning of that is, well, we didn't try to, you know, we let Brock Osweiler go. Well, no. They were very involved in the Brock Osweiler negotiation. Houston outbid them not by much, but by some. There seemed to be some lingering enmity between Osweiler and the organization for maybe the way they handled him, the way he was benched for Peyton Manning, who was clearly having a tough season last year. So those may be reasons in themselves why there was some leaving uh, from Denver to Houston. But generally, what we see is that we have a problem when teams overspend and then get left holding the bag for players. Now, luckily in the NFL, unlike NBA and Major League Baseball, teams can get out after bad deals without guarantees in future years. The guarantee is limited to the early part of the contract, which really gives teams an allocation of risk that is very favorable. But Elway's comment is an interesting one. One, because it's true, every management person can tell you some of the best deals they make are the ones they don't make, where they don't take that extra step, where they don't let emotion override the plan, where they don't react and just go with the plan. They're not going to pay more than X. And let me say that. My easiest negotiations were ones that we had a plan between coaching management and myself running the cap and contracts that we're only going to go to this amount. And if we and if the player and the agent want more than this amount, we're out. And we're good with that. Those were easy negotiations. You could negotiate firmly. You had your plan. You had your number. You could walk away. The tough ones were when a coach or general manager would say to you, uh, in so many words, whether subtle or not so subtle, that they didn't want to, you to come back with them without a contract. They didn't want to hear that some other team went above. They didn't want to hear that some other team outbid you. So those you had to negotiate carefully and tactfully and firmly as you could, but you knew at the end of the day you couldn't lose the players. Those are two types of negotiations. The easier one is when you had a plan, you had a number, you're confident you're not going to go over it. The tough one is when you couldn't come back without a contract and you had to basically give up leverage. Or when your team, whether it's GM, coach, whatever, decides we're going to stray from the plan, get emotional, and play the competitive game and try to win the negotiation by paying more than we should. And usually, as John always says, some of those deals will come back to haunt you. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Brant's Rants on the Business of Sports podcast. Now a word from Elite Team. You know, fans, you can now wrap yourself in your favorite team. EliteTeam.com has beautiful, luxurious NFL and college sports blankets They're perfect for your man cave, made right here in the USA. These NFL and college blankets are 44% bigger than your average blanket. They're actually two blankets sewn together with technology that keeps you comfortable in any temperature, machine washable. 
They get softer with every wash. 100% made in the USA. You've never felt a blanket like this. Feel for yourself. Shop EliteTeam.com. Save 10% with promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R. Get wrapped in your game day ritual. Elite Team, the official blanket of pure fandomonium. Enter promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R, to save 10% at EliteTeam.com. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Listen to this podcast at RossTucker.com on iTunes or wherever you hear your podcasts. Back again next week with The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.